The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Praise your great name, Lord. Father, I ask that you would be with our leaders and government, Father, that um, they would promote justice and mercy, Lord, that um, they would seek your face, God, that you would be with them, that you would guide them. God, we pray that your word, your judgment be guiding in how America leads, Lord. Father, local, national, state, whatever it be, we pray for them today that they would realize that you are God, you are King, and that they are subservient to you. All that they do is, is guided by you, God. All they do is under your watchful and help them to live in the fear of that, the fear of you, Father, we thank you for our mediator, Jesus Christ, the one man who came and lived and died, Father, for our sake, that we would know justice, that we would be able to live a quiet and peaceful life under our government. And once more, Father, we thank you that we can just be here today, that we can hear your word. We wouldn't have to worry about persecution, Lord, that we can worship freely, we can worship with a loud and glad heart. And Father, in all these things we pray. Amen. And Paul states in Romans that none of us are good, not even one. But there is one that is good. And his goodness, when we have salvation, makes us clean and whole and renewed. What a great thing to sing about today, about how good God is.
Pastor Craig and crew for leading as you do. And as we come to this time of offering, we especially want to just thank you again for your faithful giving as God has blessed you and uh, provided for you. He has given us the ultimate sacrifice, has he not, in his son Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. If you're uh, on Facebook, we especially want to welcome you and joining us this morning as we join together here in Kansas City to worship our risen Lord. As we pray this morning, we're going to be praying a prayer from Colossians 3, 1 to 2. Some of y'all grew up where your, your mom or your daddy told you you're too heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. And uh, that's a whole sermon in and of itself. But, uh, or maybe you're so earthly minded you're no heavenly good, perhaps the other way. Uh, depending on which house and which home perhaps you grew up in. But uh, it, is, it is a real prayer of Paul's that we would be heavenly minded. Not to the extent that we forget our responsibilities here, but to the extent that we focus them around that. And Paul says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, he says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are of this earth or on this earth. And as we pray this morning, we're going to be starting a sermon series for the, pretty much the next four or five weeks, I think, as it goes, uh, called The God, the Election, and Us. And in a time like this, we need to be reminded of this prayer that we have responsibilities here, but our greatest allegiance is above. It's, it's, it's to the one seated on the throne, and that, of course, being God himself. So as we pray, if you'll bow your heads with me, we'll pray, 
And we'll open our Bibles to Daniel after that. But let's bow our heads together. It's good to see you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us online, wherever you are. May God bless our study and our time together. Let's pray. Fathers, we come on this just absolutely gorgeous, cool, but crisp, gorgeous morning here in Missouri. Fall is in full swing, it seems, Lord. And we thank you for that. But Lord, we are here today to gather as a reminder of what you called us to do. You say to not forsake the assembling together of ourselves in hard times and bad times and in great times. For Father, this is what it's all about. And Father, as we get ready and as we're in the throes of a season, especially in our country here in America, where we are seeing divisiveness, we're seeing uh, just crazy stuff, Father, across the board. We as Christians are, are to focus above, yet at the same time fulfill responsibilities below. So Father, we pray for wisdom to do that, for wisdom not to lose focus on what lies ahead, but also not to be so heavenly minded, Lord, that we forget our responsibility to make disciples here, to share the gospel here, to be a light here, to be all that uh, Lane read earlier, to live a quiet and peaceful life, lifting up all those who are above us in prayer. Father, so much. But Father, especially in these times when it seems you can't even post something on Facebook or make a comment about anything without being shot down. Father, may we show great grace one to another and may our example, our love, as you said, be the impetus that other people come to know you. By us, may they see the love of Christ, both verbally and non-verbally. Father, we love you so much. We pray all this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Well, we are in Daniel chapter 2 this morning, Daniel chapter 2. It may take you a moment to find that in your Bible. If you have an electronic Bible, you can cheat and just go down the side there. But Daniel, of course, is after Ezekiel. And uh, Daniel is a book that was written about the, the, the exiles as they came out of Jerusalem into the, the faraway land of Persia. And we'll get there. Again, our title today is God, the Election, and You. And I don't have a flowery introduction today. I don't have some cool story. I, I just want us all in this season, straight on you, to have a biblical perspective on the election, not a partisan one. And... It, I'll be honest, we, uh, Patsy, I'm going to look at you, because Miss Patsy, we, we always, we try to put out our sermons about a year in advance. I remember this very clearly before COVID, Patsy came up to me and said, I'm looking forward to October. She was very clear. She circled that on her calendar. And so some of you are really looking forward to this. Some of you say, well, isn't this the reason we come to church is to avoid this stuff, right? But I want to help put the election into an eternal perspective. And what does the Bible say about rulers in office? And what does God's word say about governing officials rising to power? You know, is it democracy by vote? Is it communism by force? Is it monarchy by air? Or a dictatorship that arises with a coup? What does God's word say about government officials coming to power? That's what I want to look at today. Our sermon big idea is very straightforward. It's in your bulletin. It's online. It's, It's simply this. It's that countries, nations civilizations rise and fall. Rulers come and go, but the sovereign purposes of God move onward, unhindered, and unaltered. They move onward, unhindered, and unaltered. And I pray that as we take a break from our usual study of things, our Psalm study, our James study, Ezekiel, the things we've done this year, that you will be blessed by this. Because I want your perspective to be eternal in these days. And these are answers. Sometimes as a pastor, we have to take a step aside and say, you know, this is happening in our country. We need to address this. And I think this is one of these issues. Let me be very clear here. I'm not going to be endorsing any candidate from the pulpit. I'm not going to be telling you how to vote. But I'm going to point you back to the one who tells us about these things. And by your prayerful conscience, you need to make a decision. 
But what I want us to do is to go through a survey of Scripture today. So we're going to be in Daniel 2. This is a topical sermon, and our seminary guys knows what this means. It means we start in one place, but we end up bouncing around like a kangaroo of different places all over the map. But it's going to have one purpose. is to lift up the name of God, not the name of America, not the name of Russia, not the name of Israel, not the name of fill-in-the-blank country, Romans. We're here to worship God. Because people have lived under rulers, good and bad, like you as Christians throughout time and eternity. And we need to know how to live as they did, good or bad, for the glory of God. I want us to have a biblical perspective, not as the world sees, not even as many Christians see, but as the Word of God teaches us before men of rulers, how the sovereignty of God works in the ruling rulers of men. With that in mind, I'm going to read two verses. I'll pray for us, and we will just jump right in to this this morning. Daniel chapter 2. He, Daniel, just for context here, is speaking an interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's. I'm going to call him Nebi today. So Nebuchadnezzar's Nebi, because I don't have that much mouth to say that 5,000 times. So Nebuchadnezzar is Nebi. Just get that clear. So King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar, is having a dream, and he can't figure it out. And Daniel gets called in. And in verse 20, Daniel answers him, the king, and says this. He said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 21. For he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And I'll read verse 22 as well. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in darkness and light dwells with him. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. Let's pray together one more time. And we're just going to dive right into this series, God, the Election, and Us, Part 1. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before your word this morning, Father, we know that this word is perfect, it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's infallible, it's authoritative, it's sufficient, it's complete, it's, it's good for all matters of faith and practice, our doctrine says. So Father, in these times where things are so divisive, on top of layers of pandemics, on top of layers of just normalcy of, as, as we've known it the last several years and decades out the window, Father, this is another layer that adds stress to many of our lives and stress to our hearts, whether it's an ad or a, a discussion or, or just the fact of how things are and, how, and asking ourselves, how did we get here? But Father, as we take a step back from this perspective, may we have the 50,000 foot view, as it were, Father, your perspective to see how you are dealing with things, how you have dealt with things, and how you will continue to deal with things in the future. Father, give us eyes of eternity this morning. May my words be clear for your glory. May people be encouraged, edified, and exhorted by your word. It's not me, Lord. I'm a simple guy that puts his pants on one leg at a time, as we all do. But Father, by your grace, we pray your spirit move among us. We pray this all in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. So this morning, we're going to be, again, we're going to be in Daniel 2 for, for the first point or two, and then we're going to launch out. So hold your Bibles ready. You're going to flip your phone, scroll across the screen, whatever you got, we're going to be there. I want to give you five points this morning. Five points this morning. They're going to be very clear. They're straight from the text, but I want you to see these. The first is this, is that God raises up rulers. God raises up rulers. That's point number one. You know, God is the one who sovereignly puts every ruler in their place. And, and not only godly rulers, but evil ones as well. And, and, and that may be a struggle for some of you. As you look back at World War II, Hitler, Mussolini, Pol Pot in the 60s, and, and, and everything like that. And in Daniel 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has carted off godly people to an ungodly nation. And God is now raising his people in a godless nation. And God appeared to Nebuchadnezzar one night in a dream and asked, 
uh, and Nebuchadnezzar asked around to his wisest men, can you give me the vision? Can you figure this out? And they could not. So Daniel was called in, and God made Daniel for the moment, and God made the moment for Daniel. And he stepped in as God's man would give to the king not only the vision, but also the interpretation. Did you see what he said right here? He said in verse 20, he said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. Right out of the gate, David praises God. When you go to the voting block, who if you're old enough to vote, the first thing you should do is praise God you have the opportunity to do that. Because no matter what happens, God is the one who raises up rulers. And he says of God, Daniel does, wisdom and power belong to him. Wisdom is that insight to know exactly what to do. Some of you wish you had more wisdom like I do in situations of life. And power is the power to bring it to pass. So Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, before I give you the dream, I want you to know who I, whom I serve. I serve a God who has all wisdom. He knows what to do. And he has the power to bring it out. But he says in verse 21, he says he changes. God changes the times and the epics. We are about a month away from that great time of the year where you've got to change your clocks back. Well, if you, you need to change your clocks. You just kind of let it set if you have a phone or a smartphone. It does it by itself. Well, we move the time back. But that's not what Daniel is talking about. What Daniel is talking about is this, is that there may be an administration like the Obama administration or the Bush administration or the Trump administration, but God is the one who changes those administrations. God does this by controlling the one ruler who was in those times and is in those epics. But look what he says further in verse 21. He says that he also, he, he removes them, he removes kings and establishes kings. Now, if you're me and, the, and you're sitting in the pew, you say, well, why even vote if God's going to do it all? Guys, we have to be very, very careful here. We are not Calvinistic, hyper-Calvinists that believe we just sit around and God does all his bidding and we just watch the fireworks, kind of like Jonah did outside Nineveh. That's not what we're called to do. But we're also not of the fact or the thought that God is not in control of anything to where he cannot have or do anything because he's this puny God that unless we give him permission, he can't move. God is the one who raised up Nebuchadnezzar. Who raised up Trump to be president over us at this time? God did. Who brought Barack Obama into power? God did. How about George W. Bush and George Bush? God did. Well, pastor, didn't we vote? Yes, you did. But it's God, and Daniel affirms us, who removes kings and establishes kings. It's not men. It's not blind faith. It's not majority rule. Ultimately, it's the hand of God that presides in history. Not just in the micro, small details, but in the macro, the big lens, the wide lens, to use a photography term, of this world. And this is what Daniel gives God praise for. He says, God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God is the one ultimately who removes and establishes kings. But look down at verse 37. Jump down to verse 37 of chapter 2. You might need to turn the page, but look down there. He says, you, O king, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory. Daniel respects Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar does not know the Lord. He's not saved. He's not converted. He's a pagan. He's a heathen ruler. And he says, you are king of kings, lowercase k, lowercase k. God is the king of kings, uppercase k, uppercase k. But he does so in the fact that he shows respect. Daniel had this balance between knowing that he had a responsibility to those above him, but also a greater one to the one above the one above him. Does that make sense? God will remove Nebuchadnezzar and the empire will have its moments, but it's God who does the bidding. 
Friends, this is something we need to take to heart. We must live by faith, and we have faith of the one whom he places in office. I have heard it said many times over by conservatives and liberals during this time that if this president doesn't get elected and this president doesn't get elected, our country is going down the drain in the tubes. Guys, our country has been in the tubes not because of who's in office, but because people have refused to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's it. Amen. Sometimes God raises up a good ruler as a reward to a praying nation. But sometimes he raises up a good ruler for the repentance and the humbleness and the God-fearingness of the people. But sometimes God literally gives you what you deserve. Sometimes he raises up a good ruler, but sometimes he raises up an evil ruler for judgment against sinful people. To bring persecution to his church to humble them and make them focus on Christ. Sometimes God brings an evil ruler, whether they be Republican or Democrat or Green Party, Tea Party, whatever party, to discipline the church that's been complacent and worldly and trusted more in politics than they have in their God. Sometimes God brings an evil ruler to scatter the church to other nations and to take the gospel to other lands. And do you know what? God is still perfectly good in all that. If your candidate, whoever that is, loses in, December, in November 3rd, guess what? God does what he does in perfection, and it's unknown to us, but God is the one who raises up rulers. Let me be very clear here. This does not abdicate your responsibility to vote if that's where your conscience leads you to do. You are called to do that if that's where you're called to lead. Just because God is sovereign and on a spiritual level doesn't mean you stop telling people about Jesus Christ, right? You still got you to gotta, you gotta name the name of Jesus for people to hear by faith, right? You don't just sit back and God answers all your prayers because you sit there silently. You still have to participate. Same way with this. Whatever the reason God does things means sometimes he does abandon a nation, but it does not result or dissolve the responsibility of Christians to be involved. Acts 14.6, Paul said God permitted nations to go their own way. He gives them over to their own sinful choices. But at this stage, nations will rise, but it's only by God's grace. God raises up rulers. Christian, I want you to see that God and God alone in his sovereignty for reasons known only to him raises rulers according to his purposes. But sometimes it's for judgment. We tiptoed into the debate on Tuesday night at our house online and our iPad. And I don't care which side you're on. It was a shameful thing. People were yelling at each other. They were all that sort of thing. Christians, may we show great grace, great self-control in these times. Because our God is in control. Amen? And we don't need to shake in our boots. He's making everyone else shake in their boots because he's got this. God raises rulers. You got that first one? Second one is this. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Proverbs 21. As I say this, Proverbs 21 and verse 1. And this will be a great underlining verse. I'll be honest with you. You all know me well. After several years together, we may not get through the sermon I planned today. Lane, Lane and I are meeting, our intern Lane are meeting every Thursday to, to work through the sermon ahead. It's good prep for him, good study for him as, as his internship. We, are, we plan Daniel 5 for next Sunday. We'll see how far we get, okay? But if we don't get through it, just hang tight. It's okay. But God raises rulers. But in Proverbs 21, verse 1, we also see this. I'm going to read off my sheet for sake of time. God also controls rulers. God also, number two, controls rulers. He doesn't just raise them up. He controls them while they're in office. Verse 21, chapter 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, 
as are the rivers of water. And he turns it wherever so he wills. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. This is what the the example is. In the old days, especially along the Nile River, the Euphrates River, to get water to your crops, what would you have to do? You have the main river going like this, so farmers got smart, didn't they? They started digging trenches out. And what happens to that main river water? It starts to divert a little bit, doesn't it? And then they get in a channel system so much that everybody has enough water not to flood their place, but enough to water their place without destroying the crops. And you cut a little river in there, and it's a series of channels to redirect the water to be used for irrigation. And what this means is this. God controls rulers. God is so sovereign. He is not only over kings, but in and through kings, God is the one channeling their hearts like rivers of water. So, pastor, are all leaders just puppets in God's hands? No. You still make real choices. But I want to tell you what this verse means. God is intervening like water in the hand in human history. He's directing the thinking of the kings. He is fulfilling to the kings. Philippians 2.13 says, God will work, will will and work for his own good pleasure. Proverbs 16 verse 1, man plans, but who is it that directs the steps? It's God. And we say that individually a lot. We say, well, you need to pray about this and do this. But our decisions are often overridden by God, not just for us, but for the nations. History is not like a ship out in the sea without a rudder just drifting out there waiting for the next person to commandeer the ship and take it where they want to go. We are told in Ezra and throughout the books of the Bible that God put it into the king's heart to do a certain thing, and they did it. That God is moving people. He's moving upon hearts. And there's no better truth for Christians. That God is moving on hearts. Even to the foolishness of that person's name. God is moving. Friends, you need to realize this. God controls leaders. Let me be absolutely clear. God is not the author of sin. But God has powerfully worked through leaders to bring about history. And this is no different in our day. Friend, we don't need more politics in our churches. We need to grasp this truth more than ever. We have a puny God in our pews today. Do you know that? We have a God that unless, and I mentioned it in the first point, unless you give him permission, he can't even come into your heart. Oh, hogwash, get out of the room. God can bust down the door of any person's heart whenever he wants to, however he wants to, in the place and time he wants to. And he did that to you if you're a Christian. You did not invite God into your heart. You didn't want him in your heart. There's nothing good in your heart. God had to literally break down your heart's door to come in. Some people say, well, Jesus is at your door knocking. You see those pictures, don't you? This beautiful Jesus picture. And he's smiling. He's knocking on the door of your heart. God breaks your heart, and he does it. That is our God. America will not stop the purposes of God. Israel will not stop the purposes of God. Iraq will not stop the purposes of God. I'm just naming nations. You name it in history. God controls leaders. He's moving history forward, and that is your confidence, Christian, in these times. It is not the Republican Party. It is not the Democratic Party. It is not your candidate that is going to make things better. It is God and God alone. And you need to get that straight in your head as I need to get it straight in my head. Trust Him. Amen. 
This does not mean that you go out there and you just live a willy-nilly life. You are grounded in Scripture. You walk according by faith, but you don't trust in the rulers as some people are trusting in the rulers. I've heard it more than once that if we don't get this person in office, then this nation is done. Friends, the nation's already been done the moment we turned our backs on Christ. Let me say that again. God controls rulers. God is not limited in working in a nation by having a king or ruler that knows him. Some people say, well, we've got to get Christian people in office. Look, there's a good brother pastor in our association. Maybe you know him, Doug Ritchie. He serves in our state representatives. He's a, a, a godly Christian man. I've known Doug for about 15 years. And yes, we need more Doug Ritchie types in, 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 in places of leadership. But if God doesn't bring those types of brothers or sisters in leadership, God is still in control, is he not? God controls the heart of the saved or the unsaved. God often does not do his work through Christian people. He often does it through unconverted people. God never has to have the circumstances just right to make it work. You know, let me make this even more practical. Sometimes we say, and I remember doing this in high school. I remember praying for a specific person in our little small town high school. You know, Lord, I want him saved. But Lord, if that guy got saved, then everybody would hear the gospel. If that guy got saved then all the influence he has is going to be turned for the gospel. And that's true to an extent. But God doesn't need the influence of people to carry out his plan. His plan goes forward. As you share the gospel, you don't care what their influence is. You care whether they don't know Jesus, right? So too. Friends, you pray for godly rulers. You pray for rulers to walk according to the word. But if God brings you an ungodly ruler, he's still in control of them. And that ought to be for your comfort. That ought to be for your strength. This world is not in chaos and we should not be discouraged. There is no plan. God is on his throne. God is working. God is raising up rulers, controlling rulers. He's stirring their spirit and he's putting into their hearts all for his purposes. That's just point number two. Are you ready? God raises. God controls. But God also goes through this time. God also uses rulers. God also uses. He raises he controls, and this is similar to, uh, to the last point, but God uses rulers. So I want you to go to Isaiah 44, 28. Go to the book of Isaiah, just a, a few books over from Proverbs there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah 44 and verse 28. And again, if you're an underliner, this is a great way to underline. Friends, this is a hard message to preach because there's so many verses. We are touching the foothills of the Himalayas here. Uh, there, there are volumes written on this topic. But I want to introduce you to it today. Psalm 44, verse 8. I'm going to introduce a, a name to you that's familiar to some of you, but not familiar to others of you. But I want you to see it as we go through. Psalm 44, verse 28. And this is God speaking. And it says, Who says of Cyrus, he's my shepherd, and he shall fulfill my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Cyrus, who's that guy? Is that Billy Ray Cyrus pastor? Is that the country singer? No, not quite. Although I'm sure there's some, uh, there's some similarities in name there. This is Cyrus. This is a wicked king. This is a king who not God. This is a king who had nothing to do with God's people except using them for his own purposes, in his own way, in his own time. This is an ungodly king. But do you see what God calls him? I want you to note this. Your Bible may say something a little bit different. But do you see what he calls him there? He says, Cyrus, he is my shepherd. Whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, Pastor, there's only one shepherd, right? John 10, 
Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The sheep know me and I know them. They hear my voice and all that stuff, right? So why does he call Cyrus a wicked, ungodly, heathen, pagan guy, his shepherd? Well, he tells you in the verse. He says, she shall be built, seeing of Jerusalem, and your foundation of the temple shall be laid. Look, God carries out his purposes, church. God carries out his purposes on the earth through secondary means of human rulers. Cyrus was used by God to rebuild Jerusalem. Isn't that crazy? Wouldn't you think God would raise up godly people? He did. He raised up, if you know your history, Ezra and Nehemiah and all these leaders throughout history. But it started with an ungodly king. It started with someone who God said was his shepherd. And if we had the choice, we would want a godly person wherever we go, wouldn't we? But God's ways are not our ways, Isaiah 58, verses 8 and 9. And so he says, he's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. This was written 150 years before Cyrus comes to the scene. Can you imagine who our president will be if the Lord tarries in 150 years? You want to take a guess at that? This is prophecy fulfilled. God is prophesying through Isaiah to whom this coming world ruler would be. Cyrus is the king of Persia, but shepherding means he leads his flock. And friends, this is exactly what we need to remember today. That God uses rulers. God uses rulers. So what if your worst nightmare comes? And whatever candidate you're not supporting, or maybe you're not supporting it, I don't know, whatever your situation is through all this, doesn't come to be. If God can use a pagan king to bring great glory to his name and his people, Christian, you have nothing to fear, do you? You have nothing to fear. But I can't serve. I can't live in a country. I'm going to go. There was one, uh, there was one uh, tweet that went out. It's a fake tweet, but they put it on a, uh, a sports player. He said, I'm getting out of the country. I'm going to move to Hawaii. I'm going to get out of here. And, and so uh, it's a joke, by the way. Everyone says they want to move out every four years. Look, if you want to move to the next country, fine. You do that. That's, that's your choice under God's conscience, wherever God may call you. But don't just leave the leave. Guys, I believe some of the greatest work of God is yet ahead. Some of the greatest work of God is yet ahead. Do you know why? Because the church is starting to see that we don't need, especially in churches like ours, conservative politics to make the church move forward. That God is the one who repels it forward. How did the early church live under a Nero? Have you ever thought about that before? Nero would go and take Christians, and I'm not going to use all the graphic terms. You adults know this, but he would... He would use them in such a way that they were candles in his garden. Do you understand what I'm saying? He'd throw them to the lions. Friends, if God can work and spread the gospel like wildfire through ungodly kings, do you not think he can use the church and use rulers to bring about the gospel through these times? I am not a prophet or the son of one, but I think God in some sense brought COVID to bring the church to the place of dependence that it used to be on him. And friends, I think in our seasons today, we need to be reminded of this politically. We need to be reminded of this in a time where most of us are struggling to find our identities. Friends, let me just give you a list. I'm going to bring this up. I posted this on Facebook the other day, and it didn't. my computer broke two weeks ago, so forgive me. I have notes everywhere, but I want to read this to you. And I'm going to close with this. We'll pick up the rest next week. This is what the gospel is. Don't think God is restrained and can only use Christians to work out his will. And I listed several. He can use Pharaoh. He brought God's people out despite Pharaoh. He can use Pilate. 
Pilate did what? Do you remember what he did at the very end of days? He washed his hands. He said, I want nothing to do with this. Yet Pilate will stand in judgment for the things he did, especially sending the Son of God, the perfect Son of God, to his death. God can use King Herod. God can use Caesar Augustus. Do you remember that great, we, all, we make it flowery at Christmas time. There's a lovely story. But, but God sent Caesar Augustus to send a census, didn't he? Yet God used that to bring about the birth of Christ. God can use Gamaliel. He can use Judas. He can use Cyrus. He can use all these people. But here's the call for us, brothers and sisters. And we are called to worship God, to fear him, and to fear the emperor. You are to pray for whoever is in office. You are to be faithful to give your great service, except to the place where the scripture is taken over. Friends, God will prove just to be as sovereign as he was then. And I asked this on Facebook in my notes and copying and pasting, and I want to ask it to you as well. When people look at you during the season, are they seeing you trying to be angry over politics? Or are they seeing you in awe of your God who raises, who controls, and who uses rulers? Friend, I'm going to be as straight clear as I can. Our country needs a revival. Our country needs repentance. Our country needs to live out the truths that they know in God. If the churches, if our church, if every church would be as faithful to our God as we are to our political parties, especially in these days, our lives would be drastically different. They might be harder economically. They might be harder socially. But spiritually, they're going to be rich. You ask any missionary, is it hard to live for Jesus as a missionary? You know what they'll usually say? No. Why? Because all I have out there is usually my Bible, my clothes, maybe a few personal items, and I have my God with me. That's it. Christians, we need to know that God is working in America, but not in the way we think. God's judgment is on a land that sends 63 million babies to their death since 1973-74 Roe v. Wade. We need to know that what we call marriage in these days is judgment of God on us. In 2015, in late June, when the Supreme Court tried to redefine, and so on and so forth. But it's also the hand of God on churches when Christians say they believe one thing, but walk out their door and do the other. And I'm pointing ten fingers back at myself. Friends, we need to humble ourselves. We need to get right with God. We need to set our faces before Him and pray for our nation. If you are more energized by a candidate than you are about the work of God, you need to repent. I love our country. I'm grateful to be here. We are blessed beyond our socks. Our socks have been blessed off, whatever in the world that means anyway. I always see a picture of socks flying off everywhere. Do you know what I mean? Guys, we live in a great country. But it's changing. And Christian people need to be the wall. They need to be the foundation of that tide coming against in Jesus' name to stand up and say, with all we have, our God is with us. Christian, do you have more angst over who's going to be president or do you have more trust, steady trust in what our God says about himself? May God be glorified.
We got through three or five points today, amen? We will get the other two next week. And Lane, we will, we will pivot as it's 2020, brother, and we will figure out the last points as we do. Guys, I love you all, but I want you to look more heavenly than more horizontally during this time and all time. Let's pray together, and we'll invite the team up. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, there's so much that can be said here, Father, and I know this to be true. This is such a heavy topic in such a short time. Father, I pray and I ask forgiveness for in my heart where I have said to myself or my family or others, if we just get the right person in, then, then, then everything's going to be okay. Father, this does not take away the need to be public officials, the, the, the need to, to stand publicly for morals and righteousness in your name, to be sure. But Father, we trust not in chariots or horses, but we trust, as the psalmist said, in the name of the Lord our God. Father, help us to strike that balance well. Let not things of this world override things of your kingdom, but let things of your kingdom inform how we do things of this world. Father, you have made us for this moment as you made Daniel for that moment. And Father, we don't expect anything except that you use us. We pray for politicians. We pray for staff. We pray for all those in leadership, saved or unsaved, to have wisdom beyond their ability. But we especially pray for those saved to stand on your word. We especially pray for those without Christ to be saved. And Father, we pray the same energy we give to politics. Father, even greater so, we give to the sharing of your gospel around this world. Father, give us grace. But Father, we ask forgiveness because we've made such a, a mockery of who you are to make an exaltation of things that are simply going to pass away someday. Father, we love our country. We love the people of our country. Most of all, we love you. As Americans, we pray you give us grace and strength and boldness in these days. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name.